Welcome everyone. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, second chapter. It's entitled Divinity and Divine Service. In this chapter, and I should say in this I should say in this section of the chapter, we're going through the various seed verses that um, Rupa Goswami has drawn upon to formulate his uh, stages of bhakti, beginning with Shraddha, initial faith, takes us to want to associate with like-minded persons, Sadhu Sangha, in that context we find a guide. So Bhajana Kriya, then we learn systematically the practices and in the course of executing them, anartha-nivritti, unwanted things, come out, come to the surface and are pushed aside. That makes the now practice steady, nishta, firm. And from firm practice, it's well informed. In other words, it's informed by the sacred uh, texts and good instructions. We develop a taste for the practices, a taste for bhakti, and correspondingly, taste for other things is, disappears. So this is a stage, ruchi, in which the practices turn from medicine to food. Right? And then attachment comes, asakti, attachment to Krishna, the object of worship. And one then graduates from sadhana bhakti and enters into bhava bhakti. And bhava bhakti is the subject of the verse we were discussing. Bhava bhakti and prem bhakti are mentioned in this verse. So it's the last in a series of verses in the Bhagavatam that uh, these stages are talked about in a in a uh, general way. That Rupa Goswami is turned into uh, two verses in which the stages are listed that Vishwana Chakrabhitakur later turned into a whole book Madhurya Kadambani describing all the, these different stages in great detail that's being discussed actually on the Tatvavivek online you can join there the discussion uh, notably Bhaktivinotakur wrote a commentary on Shikshastakam in which he also identified the eight verses of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the only eight verses that he penned, um, uh, explained them as such that um, it could be understood that the, the different verses pertain to the different stages, some a little bit of overlapping, but uh, we've written a commentary on that as well, an extensive commentary playing out that um, unique insight of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So, we've been discussing the first line of this verse for a couple of nights now. Evam prasana manaso. It means that then, thus, having come to the stage of being attached to Krishna. Manasa Prasana manasa, the mind, manasa becomes prasana. It becomes enlivened. Hmm? Um, so, this then, as I say, roughly 
corresponds with Rupa Goswami's definition of Baba Bhakti, given in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And we've been talking about his description of of Baba as it appears in the text, both uh, indirectly or covertly, and 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 uh, overtly. Begins with the very definition of bhakti and the verb shilanam uh, attached with krishnanu shilanam. Krishnanu, following Krishna, shilanam, favorably, it means, anu means favorable, so favorable service to Krishna. The anu also implies following, so favorable means, you know, you're, you're doing it the, the way others are, have, been, have shown the way. Hmm? It's not that we make it up as we, we go along, but um, um, to follow the, the predecessors, great persons who have um, exhibited love for Krishna. So, Krishnanushilanam, anyway, to serve Krishna favorably. In the verse, Shilanam means just that. It, it, it takes two, two, it has two senses, active and inactive. So, the active refers, uh, Shilanam refers to the that kind of bhakti that is performed with the senses. That we call what? Sadhana bhakti, or bhakti in practice. It's kind of an apprenticeship. Um, you might question, well, he's doing bhakti, but there's no bhakti there. He hasn't got it yet, but he's doing bhakti. But there's an apprenticeship of bhakti. Hmm? And it counts <laughs> for bhakti. It's a stage of bhakti, in a sense, uh, of an expression of bhakti, sadhana bhakti. Uh, bhakti is liberated, so then the question arises, well, how do you perform it with your material senses? It's said in another place, what? Atahashi Krishna namadi nabhavit grayam indrai sevan mukhi jivato padma purana. Rupa Goswami cites it in his book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It says, Atahashi Krishna Namadi, Nabhavet Gaimindrai. With the material senses, one cannot experience Krishna. It means Krishna is not on the material platform uh, of experience. That means we could possibly see Krishna, not see Krishna also. Therefore, it's said that. When Krishna appears in the world, some people see him, some don't. They're both looking at him, but they're not seeing the same thing. And, of course, we readily have the experience in everyday life that two people may look at the same thing and see something very different. Hmm? So, in other words, to see Krishna, we need what? Premanjana, churita, bhakti vilochanena, sandasare bharadeshu vilokayanti. Yam Shama Sundaram Machintaguna Swarupam Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Bhajami Brahma has given a nice prayer like this. Premanjana, he says. Premanjana, when the anjana, the eye, becomes smeared with prem, with love. This bhava that we're talking about is the ray of the sun of prem, of love. It's the budding, that, the dawning of that, that prem. So, what happens when the when the senses, when the mind become overtaken by this bhava, hmm, 
as we described, and it starts to they start to function in a different way. Hmm? And so with those type of senses, then you can see Krishna, you can hear Krishna, you can taste Krishna. Hmm? But previously to attaining bhava, then one's performing bhakti with the senses, but then what is the experience? It's limited to an extent, but it's bhakti nonetheless. It's um, been likened to the activities that are attendant activities, if you will, to a traditional uh, fire sacrifice, a homa. Hmm? So, in other words, in order to perform the sacrifice, you need wood, you need other things that will be put into the fire and so forth. So, who's going to perform the sacrifice might say, might say, Agni, get the wood, Hari Bhakti, you get the grains, and so on and so forth. So, those who go and get those things, they are collecting elements for making the whole thing happen. That's also considered to be participating in the fire sacrifice, although the fire sacrifice really is the fire and you pour the thing on, you say the mantra, and so forth. So uh, the sadhana bhakti has been likened to this attendant kind of gathering together the ingredients, positioning ourselves in such a way that actual bhakti will descend in the heart. I've likened it before, uh, and there are certain rules that govern that, so what constitutes sadhana bhakti, what doesn't, but I've likened it before to a young lady, for example, who wants to attract the attention of a young young man. It used to be that if you, you, know, you found out that the guy that you had a crush on in school liked apple pie, then the girl would show up at the bus stop with an apple pie that day and just happen to have an apple pie. Or if you knew he liked red dress, you'd be wearing a red dress and so forth. So to, and this is again about following. You see, oh, Krishna likes this. He, this person has this. Krishna likes that. Krishna's gone there. Hmm? Entered into his heart, entered into her heart, her heart. So I eliminate them, so to speak. Imitation of a good thing is said to be a good thing. Hmm? I remember, I might have used this example before, but one of those things that sticks out in the mind even after you've gone far beyond it. But when we were kids, and there used to be this TV commercial of the uh, Hertz, you know, they had this car flying, driving along, and then Hertz put you in the driver's seat today, and this guy came flying in and land in the seat, you know, the driving car. And Hertz was the, you know, that was a new thing, rental cars. I don't think they had rental cars before that. It was the original company. Hmm? So then, then you used to see it all the time, you know, on the TV. This guy flies in and they're, you know, on the seat of his pants and lands in the car and off they go. He goes. So then this other company came along called Avis. And they just, basically they did, you know, what it hurts did. And I, as a kid, I thought, that's interesting. You know, they, they've just done exactly what this other company did and they've become a big success. And of course this happens, you know, so many times. And a good idea is uh, worth following, and sometimes the imitation of a good activity is considered the greatest compliment also. Hmm? Of course, it can be competitive and problematic, but the, the general idea, it's a, it's a compliment. You, you think this is a successful thing, it's a good idea, we should do it as well. Hmm? Now they don't 
Amos doesn't, you know, pay its respects to Hertz <laughs> for the idea and give them a commission of everything that they've earned or anything like that. But this is a compliment anyway, then, to follow in the footsteps of other great devotees who have love for Krishna. This is uh, this is a compliment. This is a, um, a testament to our appreciation of them in a real sense. Hmm? Not just to say, I think they're good. I think they're good. I'm going to do that also. That's how good it is. So, naturally, Krishna will take notice of that. That's the idea. Hmm? And it's a kind of, as I say, positioning ourselves that this bhava will come. That's what sadhana bhakti is about. And we've heard that. We went from the general verse in Bhakti Rasambhin Sindhu that described that there is an aspect of bhakti called bhava relative to the root of the word, uh, the verbal root shila in the word krishnanushilanam, which implies activity, as I said, and inactivity. So the activity is that sadhana bhakti that's performed with the senses that I'm describing, that's a way of positioning oneself to attract the attention of Krishna. And that inactivity of the verb Shilanam, Krishnanu Shilanam, means, implies some inner activity hmm, that's not visible, that's, it, that's emotive in nature. So this is called Bhavarup. We have Cheshtarup, which refers to activities in Sadhana Bhakti, and Bhavarup. So both things are there in Bhakti. Hmm. And so we went from there, we talked then about the rareness of bhava bhakti, which of, of bhakti, which comes up, and it's in relation to bhava bhakti, how it, in order to attain it, one cannot perform any other sadhana, only this, only the bhakti sadhana, and how, even if you practice sadhana bhakti, it takes time to attain. You have to pass through nishta, ruchi, asakti, these different stages, and so forth. The previous stages to arrive at Baba Bhakti. And we talked about the other quality of Baba Bhakti, that it is uh, makes liberation seem insignificant hmm? in comparison. This is a huge statement, because after all, mukti or liberation is the goal of many transcendentalists, and it's a noble goal in many respects. We have talked about it in terms of Removing, what does the Yoga Sutra say? Removing the vrittis of the mind. Chitta vritti nirodha. Nirodha means the winding up, the annihilation, the ending of all these waves in the mind that are a result of our attaching ourselves. Consciousness has the power to extend itself, so we extend it. We're a unit of consciousness, so we extend ourselves into the body, an identification with the body. And in relation to things related to the body, different objects and sounds, tastes, smells, and so on and so forth, and we become defined by those then attachments that we've extended ourselves into and given value to. We find that things are valuable for one reason, because to the extent to which we're in them. We've invested ourselves in them. That's the import of the word my that makes my house more important than your house, my car, my clothes, my family, and so forth, because I'm invested there. So what's valuable about that thing? What is the difference between your car and my car? Me. The fact that I'm in my car, that's what, 
That's why it's valuable. So what makes things valuable is is ourselves. In other words, they don't have value under themselves, in and of themselves. But as much as we invest ourselves as units of consciousness in those things, they take on a value. So what's valuable? It's that consciousness is what's valuable. Hmm? So if we could withdraw the consciousness from the things and let it turn onto itself, hmm? examine itself, what is its nature, what is its possibilities, and so forth, we would be fascinated by the, uh, the, 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 the kind of life that that affords. This is what we're involved in here. It's like the difference between ice and water. You know, as I said before, with ice you can cool water. <laughs> with water you can bathe, you can, yeah, you can cook, you can swim, you can make ice, you can make steam, you can make power, energy, electricity, and so many things you can do. So the possibilities of consciousness in comparison to matter are practically unlimited. The possibilities of consciousness or of matter lie only in the extent to which consciousness invests itself in matter. So how valuable are we then? So to turn inward and and that means that these vrittis, these constructs of the mind that have developed as a result of our attachments, they, they, the sea goes calm. Hmm? Calm, huge relief there. But because Bhava Bhakti makes liberation seem small, we've been discussing the fact that as much as the Yoga Sutra say, this is a spiritual discipline, and the Gyanmarg makes similar statements. Gyanmarg is the, the path of Vivek or introspection. Yoga Marg is the path of uh, Yoga Sadhana, for example, as outlined in the Yoga Sutras or the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Um, Bhakti is, of course, another transcendental path. These are three um, uh, given in the sacred texts of India. And while Gyan and Yoga would agree that Chitta Vritti Nirodha, something like that, ending these Vrittis in the mind uh, is, constitutes liberation, Bhakti could be characterized as saying something like, like Bhakti Vritti Udai, Chitta Vritti Nirodha, Bhakti Vritti Udai. Udai means awaken, so that the Bhakti Vritti would be awakened. But again, we're in an ocean, and it's got waves. I've said before that we live for love in many respects, in all respects, really, and we're on the move, looking for love. We can't rest until we find it. When we find it, we find that we start moving again, because it has a life of its own, has a different orbit. It has as many ups and downs, so to speak, as life looking for love, but but the ups and downs are a ride that one uh, doesn't want to um, give up. Uh, it's, I mean, love is dynamic, it's exciting, it's not just a calm sea. It's a, a tsunami, <laughs> if you will. And we know this from our material experience, and we think, yeah, I wish I could get... Yeah, it's tough. Um, but, of course, when the object here is Krishna... There's attachment to Krishna in asakti. 
the last stage of sadhana before we enter into bhava bhakti, that attachment to Krishna, just like attachment to material things, forms an identity, starts to form an identity within our self in relation to Krishna in a particular way because the object here of our love now is eternal and is joy itself, joy himself, personified. This is a ride that you're not going to want to get off. This is the... This is this is this is the um, we move when we enter into bhav bhakti we move from a circular life to a rectilinear life in a sense we've talked about the idea at other times that the uh, Vedic conception of time is cyclical but that only refers to the the, the world hmm? in the paramatma manifestation of the god there are potentialities called jiva called maya, the jiva shakti, the individual soul, the maya shakti, material nature. Potentialities imply something secular in a sense because like, for example, we have a tree potential in a seed, right? What happens? Potentiality is actualized, the tree comes out, hmm? seeds fall down, tree goes back in the seed, (laughs) Seed comes out, so this uh, the life of the Paramatma, this is cyclical then. Hmm? It goes round and round, so the creations come and go, come and go, bhutva bhutva praliyate. From a time without beginning, they're compared to the breathing of Vishnu, which has no beginning, has no end. He breathes out, there's a the world. <gasps> he sighs, oh, wasn't what I thought it would be. Comes back in, try again. <laughs> He's, he's trying to help us, you know, meet, meet, meet our maker, so to speak. But there's some, there's some resistance on our part. Or uh, just the nature of things is such. We're small, material nature is vast, so it becomes a problem. No one to blame. Uh, but he descends from above, beyond the cyclical time, from the rectilinear, you know, time scheme, where things just go, like it seems, people like to tell us, Things are just getting better and better all the time. <laughs> That's the propaganda, right? We're, we're led to believe things are getting better all the time. And we see some improvement here and there, so we, we think, yeah, I guess things are just getting better. I mean, people used to be living like this, now they're living like this, and it's better until there's some problem, <laughs> and then we think, maybe it's not better. So uh, there's, of course, good arguments for the uh, idea that we're not making infinite progress at all stages, which is obvious, actually. We're not making progress infinitely at every stage. There, are Really, if we study history, we see things go up and down. Things kind of go in circles, even, even as we progress. People progress, and then they go backwards, and then they, they build up, and they get a huge industrial company complex, and then it all falls apart. And, 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 affects the whole world economy and you know, so on and so forth. And they start building that up again. So, right? Then if we go beyond this time, the cyclical time, into the parabiom, the, the, the realm of, of the Godhead, then things actually increase always at every minute. Hmm? The nature of praying love, which is the subject of this verse, second part of this verse, which we haven't gotten to yet, is what? That it is 
full and ever-increasing at the same time. Now, we have no experience of this. We take it on faith. But it's not just a kind of blind faith. It's more like a hope. It's more like a sense within us that such thing exists. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're living for. However imperfectly we're trying to attain that. We talk about it as if we're, it's, it's going on. But when we look at it, we think it, maybe it's not. Hmm? But that it's a possibility. Hmm? Why has that come? Why does that surface in human uh, society? Hmm? Because it is the, it is, it is the possibility it, it, it is more than it. It, it, it is what um, it, it. What it amounts to is consciousness is a spark hmm, of the fire that is the Godhead, and 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 there is a desire in the individual consciousness to experience everything about itself. Hmm, everything about itself. What is it? Well, it exists in an enduring sense, not like material things. Consciousness is that which, well, we can't dismiss because dismissal, consciousness requires dismissal. So it's like a very foundational. There are good arguments for this, even in Western philosophy. The absurdity of, uh, it can be considered even the height of absurdity to dismiss consciousness, as some people do today. And, the scientific community. So we exist, and and we know that we exist. We don't know the extent to which we exist, but we're trying to figure that out. And we exist, so we we, we be, we know, and and we have a purpose. And our purpose is is joy, hmm? is to love. Hmm? So sat, chit. Ananda, these are the components of the self. And because the self wants to experience everything about itself, hmm, there is this natural kind of um, longing and aspiration that when we connect ourself with Bhagwan, with Satchit Ananda full, hmm, through, through, through bhakti, which is also Satchitananda, and I have to talk about it in a very special way, mm-hmm. then, uh, then we experience all that we can be, so to speak. So there's a natural kind of uh, pursuit of this that arises in human society. We say this is what everybody's doing. You just got the things centered in the wrong, wrong place. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, descriptions of Krishna, he's Sat, he's Chit, he's Ananda. And the means to connect. So, what does that mean to connect? That's Baba Bhakti. So we heard Kuti Sadya Babet Sadya Baba Sadhanabida Nityasadasya Baba Sya Prakatam Ridi Sadhyata. When you do Sadhana Bhakti, you do it for a purpose. The purpose is to get Baba Bhakti. But we explained what that Baba Bhakti shouldn't be misunderstood, as it might be from this statement, that it's something to be attained that doesn't exist already. Otherwise, if it was so, it wouldn't be worth attaining. It's an eternal thing, so it's worth attaining. 
Therefore, the verse says, Nityasiddhasya bhavasya. This bhava is not something that's produced in time. In time, it will manifest within us. But it was already existing. Just like Krishna is already existing. But he manifests in the house of Vasudeva and Devaki and comes his prison, for example. He's not born there. That's not the beginning of the... I mean, he is. That's a leela, we call that's play. But from a philosophical point of view, God's always existing. Where? Everywhere. There's nowhere that God's not, in one sense. So, so this, this, this bhava, this is of a similar nature. What is it? It's this, this sadhya chidananda that Krishna is constituted of. It, it manifests outside of himself, so to speak. The primary component of that is the ananda. Krishna is full of swarupananda. His, his nature is full of ananda. But there's something called swarup shakti ananda. And this is something like this. If you have sugar, it's sweet. Sweetness is that ananda. The nature, the swarup of the sugar is sweetness. But sugar can't taste itself. Hmm? So in order to taste himself, this is the act of bhakti, actually. Krishna, this, 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 this ananda manifests as Radha. Two forms, one, one soul, something like that. She's a personification of bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti Devi. Hmm? And she, she's the Swam Shakti, Krishna's Swam Bhagavan. So all avatars are like candles that have been lit by the original light of Krishna. These are the fire, they're all candles. Hmm? So the Swam Shakti, so with, with Narayan comes Lakshmi, with Shiva comes Parvati, and, and so forth. And these are, so all these are manifestations of Radha. She's the primal Shakti. So she, in a, in, a, in a larger sense, presides over all of the swarup shakti. The swarup shakti means that the inner the, the life of Bhagawan, that, that energy that, that conducts the affairs of his homeland, you know, his, his private life, something like that. Here we have an energy that presides over our affairs here, the material energy. It presides over and, and predominates over us and so forth. We even lose sight of ourselves under its influence. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and the Surup Shakti becomes so powerful, for example, in the, in the personification as Radha, that Krishna loses sight of his own self under her influence. That's what Krishna means. It means God losing sight of himself. Hmm? Not, in, not really. Because his sight is completely fixed on Radha, which is his other self. You know, in a form for tasting himself and, and, and so on. So it's complex theology, but uh, this is an important point that the Christian doesn't take pleasure outside of himself. Hmm? He shares his pleasure potency with us, for example, that's called bhakti. That's when this bhava that's constitutive of shakti comes within us. So it's eternally existing. In the abode of Krishna, Radha is a personification of that. Krishna's friends, Krishna's mother and father, and all the places, and all these are all manifestations of the Swarup Shakti. Hmm? 
And in relation to that, then Krishna is tasting himself. This is kind of the the obeyed way of looking at it. There's only Krishna. We look at it from from obeyed point of view. A difference also it means beta obeyed oneness and difference. So in other words, we're all Krishna, but we're not all Krishna. This is my body, but it's also not my body. It's my hand, right? I could touch my body over here, and I, I, I could say, you know, you didn't touch my body. Here it is. It's my hand. So, so there's a oneness uh, between Krishna and all things uh, and everything, and there's a difference at the same time. And that makes for the possibility of this kind of reciprocal dealing that love is really all about. So this bhava is going on there. Nityasiddhasya bhava, see, that's where it's going on. The examples are there in the sacred texts and so forth of these uh, manifestations of, of friendliness, friendship, subal, sridham, Krishna's coward friends, of, of romantic love, radha, vishaka, lita, these gopis, of, of motherly love, parental love. These are waves, huge waves in the ocean of love. Forms of love that have the power to, to just dominate. Hmm? Not, there are certain nuances of love that don't dominate, that, 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 that augment hmm? these major waves, so to speak, or embellish them. But... And so, the, so this way, Rupa Goswami has described this ocean of bhakti, this bhakti vritti, hmm? the mind becomes overtaken by, hmm? um, in terms of different types of bhavas and so forth. And, uh, uh, and in the general sense, the, the, the major waves as servitude, uh, friendship, parental love, romantic love, and so forth, these... Uh, one of these waves can um, come can and prakatam ready sadhyata can enter the heart. That is the perfection of sadhana bhakti. We enter into bhava bhakti. So we go to the chapter of Rupa Goswami, for example, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which he called his book called the, the Ocean Sindhu of Bhakti Rasa. And I said the other night, Rasa has liquid connotations itself. It's an ocean of, of the most desirable liquid uh, uh, compared to a fruit that's sweet with no, no, no pit, no, no, no skin, and intoxicating, and an elixir. Drink it until you become intoxicated. And when you wake up, drink it again pass out and so forth, this idea. So this Rupa Goswami describes, he has a whole chapter about bhava bhakti, he has subsequent chapters about different types of bhavas, different types of waves, hmm? and how they combine together to make the tsunami of, of uh, the tidal wave of, of rasa. Hmm? It's a whole, I mean, you think of this now, we said bhakti, um, in terms of bhava, this stage of bhakti and prem, make liberation look small. I mean, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Liberation, okay. Chitta vritti naroda, we remove these waves in the mind that come from attachment to objects, 
material objects and so forth. And uh, that's the end of the story. That's all she wrote. It's basically talking about what you sh- what you should move away from. Hmm? And it talks about the, the, the Godhead or the Absolute in terms of what it's not. It's not this, it's not that. And that's it. Here, Rupa Goswami is just going on for chapter and chapter and chapter. You know, it's enough to say, oh, the Bhakti Vritti. And then you're going to learn, well, in that wave of Bhakti, there's like several different types and many different nuances of the waves. There's big waves, there's small waves, there's attendant waves, there's, you know dominant waves and different types of dominant waves and, and so forth. And so if you catch this drift, you can see, well, this is, we're talking about a, a whole life here. The Absolute has a life. He's not just sitting there still. Om, Shanti, alone. Hmm? No. So, Bhakti Bhritti Odai, this is what we want. The Bhakti Bhritti will awaken in our mind. And Rupa Goswami describes it in his beginning chapter about Bhakti, which naturally follows after his chapter about Sadhana Bhakti, and before he goes into detail about all these different kind of waves which make up the whole rest of the book, which is the better portion of the book. This Bhava Bhakti chapter comes in the fourth chapter of a book that's got about, what, four sections, and they're compared to four, like the Eastern Ocean, the Western, the Southern, and the Northern Ocean. It's a very nice way that it. And then within each ocean, there are different waves. So the first, the eastern division, first four waves are the generic, generic description of bhakti, sadhana bhakti described, baba bhakti described in, in brief, essentially, prema bhakti described in brief, essentially. Then he goes, for the whole southern, western, northern ocean, he's just describing in, in detail all these different waves and how they work together and so forth. It's the better part of the book. So, yeah, it, it makes liberation look small in comparison. And liberation is accomplished within it as, as a, uh, in the context of pursuing these, this, this bhakti, this bhava, this praying as, as a byproduct. That's a huge statement. Hmm? And it's well supported. Hmm? Rupa Goswami is writing this book and every other verse of his own, he gives an example from this sacred text or that sacred text or this one to support it and so forth from the revelation. So, there he describes anyway in the the third chapter of the first Eastern wave, Baba Bhakti. He makes a statement opening. He says, Sudha Satva Bhishay Satma Prema Suryang Su Samya Bhak. This is called bhava. What? Sudha shatva vise shatma. Prema suryang su That's sudha shatva. Sudha means pure. Sattva here means existence. So there's a pure existence, a transcendental existence. We call it sandini. There's all kinds of existence. Existence. There's a material existence. There's mixed existence. There's anyway the suit, the pure environment where this love goes on hmm, between Krishna and his devotees. Hmm, this divine play. It's a pure environment, sandini. So on the platform of Sudasatma, Bisheshatma, there's a certain combination hmm, uh, of this uh, this. Um, 
this uh, within the context of this pure existence. In this pure existence, there's pure knowing and pure bliss. So there, there he says, a particular combination within Sudrasattva means the knowing and the bliss is combined in a particular way hmm? within the context of the, uh, the pure existence. This then comes into the, uh, the heart of the devotee, like a ray of the sun of Prem. What does it mean? It means that if we study Radha's love for Krishna, if we study Yashoda, Krishna's mother's love for him, this is, for example, it's all existing on the Shudrasattva, in pure existence, but the love of Yashoda for Krishna, the love of Radha for Krishna, constitutes a different combination of Samvit and Ladini. The Samvit, the knowing, and the Ananda, the Ladini, is different. She knows herself to be a mother, for example. Her knowing, her knowing is... I'm mother. Radha's mother knowing is I'm I'm lover. Hmm? Subal's knowing is I'm the friend. Hmm? Certain kind of uh, knowledge hmm? and a certain type of ananda. So all these things then have been described in great detail in all the, the uh, Goswami's texts. The nuances of Sakiras, how far it extends into Sneha Man Pranaya Raghunurag Bhav Mahabhav all the it's very complex, very uh, interesting. So the idea here is, in general, is that that a, a particular combination of Sambit and Ladini hmm, enter into the devotee. Hmm. So this is the sprout, then, if you will, of, this, of what's called the Stayibhav. A Stayibhav. A Stayibhav means that tidal wave, one of those big waves that constitutes a dominant emotion like parental, friendly, romantic, hmm, servitude. Hmm. The sprout of this comes in. It's not fully formed. Hmm. When Baba comes, the sprout of this stai comes. It may even be in relation to the guru and he will then direct it uh, to Krishna. Hmm. And as, as, as this is the culture within Bhava Bhakti, then I said before, it's, it's a kind of perfection and it's a kind of practice. Sadhana is only practice, Prem is only perfection. Bhava is a combination of both a special kind of practice and a kind of prote- per- perfection because it's, you've graduated from apprenticeship, you've got Bhakti now. Hmm? Now you're churning that Bhava into Prem. Hmm? So, As you turn that, then, hmm, this, this bhakti, as he describes it in a general sense in, in, in the third chapter of the Eastern Division of the Ocean of Bhakti Rasa, it, he says it's a sprout. It softens the heart. Hmm? In praying, the heart is already soft. Hmm? So there are other attendant bhavas that come and combine and give it with experience of rasa. The experience of rasa depends on a stai bhav. The stai bhav is like the ocean. Hmm? And then from the ocean, water is evaporated and it pours back down again in rain and so forth. So without the ocean, you don't have that. So the stai bhava is, is, is central. 
this, when this, this dominant, this, this particular combination of samvit and ladini. Hmm? Samvit means knowing. Ladini means bliss. And samdini means existence. We are a unit of bliss, existence, and knowing, but it's very atomic. Hmm? The fact that it's atomic is seen by the, by the fact that it can be overcome by the influence of the material nature of the Maya Shakti. It can't be extinguished, it can't be changed, but it, it can be covered by it and lose sight of itself. It's a tiny spark. But we are made of Satchit Ananda. Very clearly, many, many references in the sacred text to establish this idea. Chidana, well, Padma Prana says what? Chidanandamsa. Chidanandamsa. It's Amsa Chit. Ananda, and of course he's existing, so he's sought. So this Sandini sought, Samvit Chit, Ladini Ananda, Samdini Samvit Ladini of the Sarup Shakti that has been manifest from Krishna, that sweet sugar manifest as Sarup Shakti, the Sarup, hmm, the Sarup Ananda became Surup Shakti Ananda. So his Shakti, his, his power. So this is a, has the power to attract Krishna. The Ananda in ourselves is tiny. It doesn't have the power to attract Krishna. In fact, it's so weak that it gets overcome, overcome by the material nature. It could never happen to Krishna. So how much Satchit Ananda is in Krishna? If we want to make, you know, quantitative, you know, an, an analysis, the point is, we're small, Krishna's big, so the fire's big. You know, you can pour all the water you want on it; it's not going to go out. A spark could, you know, go by the side, uh, and, and go go dim. It doesn't ever go out. You know, a coal, let's say, you know, examples limited because it does go out, but hmm, we never go out. But um, we could be covered over, light could be covered over, and you couldn't see it. Hmm. Krishna can't, wherever there's Krishna, there can be no Maya. Wherever there's the Jiva, there could be Maya. Hmm. So, now think about it like this the Ananda in ourselves, the joy in ourselves, does not have the power to even, even in and of itself, to conquer over the influence of material nature. It could never overcome Krishna, material nature. Now the Sarup Shakti Ananda that comes out of Krishna, that has the power to overcome Krishna. What to speak of material nature? And Bhakti is constituted of that Sarup Shakti, so we have at our disposal a very powerful means to remedy the predicament of our present covered condition. If we avail ourselves to the merciful extension of bhakti, hmm? rather reaching out to us, so to speak, it's something like that. Hmm? So, and it, and, it, and, it, and how does she do that? Through the guru parampara, the disciplic succession. The guru comes to us, and it's all for the, for the for the so many reasons that we don't even realize. And uh, generally speaking, and that a guru is is a, is a personification of a particular type of bhava, hmm? 
combination of that, some of it in Ladini. So naturally we tend to be connected with one that is, uh, we get the same sentiment, hmm? generally, is the idea. There are some exceptions and there are reasons for that, good reasons, we won't go into that, but the point is that that this comes to us through through sadhus, in the person, through a disciplic succession. It's kind of like the channel. Hmm? Um, Krishna's the ocean, we're the drop, and Bhakti's the channel that's made. Hmm? We can we can we can connect. So uh, when then we become, as Rupa Goswami says, influenced by the ingress of that. When that bhakti vritti then takes over our mind, chitta ruchi bis chitta mashrinya, chitti bis ruchi bis chitta means the same. This bhakti vritti, this comes over our our chitta, our consciousness. It, 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 we find then in Baba Bhakti certain desires arising to to make a friendly relationship with Krishna, to serve him in a particular uh, manner, to attain him, praptabilas, sohrada apilas. Three, as I say, primary kind of desires awaken, and these are. Uh, carrying the devotee, Rupa uh, Goswami says. So this is the a general idea of um, of bhava. Hmm? Uh, you are entering into the ocean of bhakti rasa. You kind of like got your toe in the water there, and you're like watching the waves, and 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 now this gradually the mind. The body is taken over by this energy. Then he can't be influenced by the material energy. He can have influence over the material energy and therefore influence us. Mm-hmm. And so, But all this then is a little difficult to, to talk about. It's a little difficult to, to identify. So um, Rupa Goswami goes on in this chapter and he explains that uh, this... This comes about, as I'm talking about, by grace, by the grace of a devotee, by the grace of Krishna, either directly by the grace of Krishna in rare instances, or, or from within the heart, hmm? or through his words, or through the blessing of a devotee, or more readily, through sadhana, which is also a form of mercy in a sense, or spiritual practice. We get the teaching how to do that from saintly persons, from our guru, and so forth. So it comes from mercy or sadhana, but in either case, it's really combination of mercy and and effort, but there may be instances of no effort and just mercy. It's possible. We can't complain about that. It could happen. In other words, if it happens to somebody else, we can't say, why didn't that happen to me? You can't be waiting in line for mercy and ask for justice. Then you get sent to the back of the line. So um, we line up, we wait for mercy, and, and but we act as if our Attaining Bob is dependent upon our effort, knowing that really, even with all the effort, without mercy, it won't happen. So we're most assured that with such effort, mercy will be will be coming, grace will be coming. We attract the sympathy of of uh, Bhagwan and of saintly persons. So um, he says, this is how it comes, and then he says, and this is how to recognize it. 
then. He said, there's anubhav, that in this case means characteristics of, of Baba's budding stage. As I said, this is the budding of that stai bhav, that dominant sense of emotion for Krishna as a friend, as a lover. So it's just the, the budding of that. Hmm? And so there are symptoms of the budding of that. What are those? He says there are, I think, nine. Shantir, uh, avyaktakalatvam. Hmm? Shantir, avyaktakalatvam, kalatvam, viraktir manasunyata, ashabandha samutkanta, namagane sadaruchi, asakti sthad vasati stale. Asakti sthad vasati stale. He says, Chanti means forbearance, some tolerance. Chanti avyarta kalatvam. He never wastes any time. Virakti, hmm? she has detachment. There's manasunyata, a kind of a special kind of. Uh, Kind of humbleness and submission and ashabanda, hope, a kind of a confidence at the same time. Hmm? Nice, interesting combination. And uh, samutkanta, there's comes longing, and uh, there's namagane uh, sadaruchi. He has a taste for chanting the name of Krishna. Asaktis, astasaktis, gunakyane. He has a Attachment to the gunake, to, to speaking about the qualities of Krishna and so forth, and pritistad pasatistale. He likes to stay in a place where all these things go on, hmm? like Kaudarya, like Madhavan, like Vrindavan, and so forth. She likes to stay there. Hmm? So these are some symptoms that by which we can recognize, oh, uh, whether he didn't say, if you see people crying and falling on the ground and rolling around during the kirtan, then you know they have a baba. They might, but they might not. <laughs> people like to kid themselves and others as well, hmm? without even realizing they're doing that. There's, there's a lot of people like, that. oh, and they're crying and wailing in the kirtan. We usually don't pay much attention to them. Hmm? Well, in a crude way, once Prabhupada was asked, there was this guy, I guess maybe it was in England, he was an Indian guy, he would come to the devotees' kirtan. Whenever the kirtan would start, he would fall on the ground and start thrashing around and so forth. And they said, what should we do? Prabhupada said, kick him in the head. <laughs> see, see, if he's in bhava, then he won't get up. I don't know. But I mean, uh, so, you know, these, Rupa Goswami describes that when this bhava starts to come in its budding form, which is huge, this is huge, he said, there may be some tears, there may be some horripilation, hairs standing on end, little, little bit. Hmm? And they'll be controllable, checkable. Hmm? So out of dignity for what the subject matter is, the devotee tends to control that and not make a public display, draw attention to himself and so forth. In fact, there's nothing, there's no thought like that whatsoever of drawing attention to oneself. One feels, oh, I've been so blessed. Hmm? It's so extraordinary. I know myself, when I first, I came one day, I've told a story before, uh, we used to go out and do Sankirtan all day long. I came back 
at night one night in Los Angeles in the temple. They had an evening like Arctic at like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night was the last Arctic. And usually there was nobody there. One guy was there and chanting and I came in and uh, I went before that altar of Jagannath and he was extremely merciful to me, spoke to me and I was so overwhelmed hmm, by the huge wave of ecstasy and I went and I didn't know where to hide. I, I just... I was just so like felt so blessed and graced and and so forth and unworthy. The thing was so like, what could I do to deserve this? All the sadhana I've done for all my life and all previous life, this is just overwhelming. I just felt blessed, so it wasn't like just see, I'm in ecstasy, you know. <laughs> so I went. I hid in a van. There was a van in the parking lot. I hid in there and wept and wept and wept. And so. Uh, the, uh, it's not. Uh, the, it doesn't have the tendency to. To if something like this comes earlier in sadhana bhakti, someone may may exploit it for prestige, desire for prestige that he or she still has. If he gets a glimpse of that, that's another thing. This this Rupa Goswami goes on to say. Now, besides the actual bhava, there is a bhas of bhava, a shadow, a, a semblance of bhava. So there are two types. There's a type that's a reflection and a type that's a shadow. Hmm? He said, sometimes we find people who desire liberation, not praying. Hmm? And they associate with devotees, they do some of the practices of devotees, and we see symptoms of bhav coming in them. Maybe there's some tears or something, or, or some of these other things that I mentioned that are visibly noticeable. He says, but that's not real bhava. Why? Very simple. Because it's already been taught that you cannot get this bhava by any other practice. And if your practice is, is do some bhakti to get some liberation, that's not the kind of bhakti that's called Krishnanushilanam, this kind of bhakti. It's favorable to Krishna. Favorable to Krishna means only for, for Krishna's sake. I'm serving Krishna to please Krishna. Not I'm serving Krishna to get mukti. That's a different thing. That's not the kind of sadhana that it gives bhava bhakti. So he says, it can't be bhava mm-hmm. in the real sense. But it's something, and it's come by contact with devotees and chanting. It's a, so it's a, he says, it's a reflection of bhava. It may stay with that person for some time, and it may go away. Mm-hmm. So we find sometimes these people, they come, they like to live in Vrindavan, they want mukti, and they do some bhakti and so forth. And so they get some, they may even get mukti. That's a, that's 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 fine, but this this is something something more in a sense that Rupa Goswami is talking about. He said, then there are others who 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 who, who maybe are in ignorance. They, they they don't even understand Krishna. Sometimes we see things like this, symptoms like this in them. They 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 get uh, excited, something, or it might be in a neophyte devotee. So, so this is. From serving or being in a proximity of real devotees, the devotee who has bhava, some some shadow of the bhakti may come. That's a good thing. That's encouraging. Get a shadow, and I'm not a bhava bhakta. I'm in the early state of that. Tears may come. My hairs may stand on end, and and I think, whoa, this is great. What I'm involved in here. So, but it's not. It doesn't. It it's, it doesn't. It it doesn't. Uh, it fades. Hmm? But it's like a, like very fortunate. We feel very fortunate to get that, to experience that. We know I'm in good company. 
my mantra is working, they're coming from a good source, <laughs> something like that. So this way Rupa Goswami so gives a whole chapter about Bhava Bhakti. And then as I say, he goes on to describe Prem Bhakti, which is the second part of this verse. We'll describe some of that in our next class. And are there any questions? What's the time? Quarter after eight. A little bit late. Well, again, then, so thank you all for coming tonight, and especially our visitors from afar. Effort to come here and in inclement weather. So you must have some shadow of Bhava <laughs> make such efforts. We appreciate that. Kantara Simad Bhagavatam Gijai. Oh, Nitananda Gijai. Oh, Premanandi.